This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Looking forward to a full house, how the province is lifting capacity limits at major events, but not for everyone. New data about COVID in schools. Less than one-third of schools have had a cluster, and I think that's important. What the science says about the risk of classroom transmission. And the quote that's not quite accurate. All the records in possession of the federal government uh, have already been turned over. What the Truth and Reconciliation Center says about its request for documents about residential schools. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off today. A major change in COVID health orders is a big relief for bars, restaurants, and the Vancouver Canucks. Capacity limits are coming off as of October 25th. But as Kamal Karamali reports, the new freedoms aren't for everyone, and restrictions are still in place for some parts of the province. One of the last major barriers to normalcy comes tumbling down. Today, I announced changes to the provincial health officer order, which lifts the capacity limits. Starting next Monday, capacity limits will be completely lifted for many of BC's indoor events, where proof of vaccination is required. With glowing hearts. That includes Canucks games. The team already started selling single-game tickets earlier this month for their upcoming home opener next Tuesday in anticipation of the announcement. We're expecting a very emotional, exciting night with a, a sold-out building. The gates also opening wider at BC Place and for events at the Vancouver Convention Centre. But the new challenge will be catering to the larger crowds. It has been a challenge for, for our industry staffing up. Larger events, more staff, um, more product, but really it's just it's a scaling. The move also allows 100% capacity for indoor sporting events, indoor concerts, cinemas, theatres, dance and symphony events. A welcome move for the Rio Theatre, which had to repeatedly pivot its business model and even shut down last year. I am so excited. To be honest, I made the announcement to my staff today and I got goosebumps. The theatre will host most events at maximum capacity, but other entertainment venues are taking a more cautious approach. Vancouver Symphony, good afternoon. The Vancouver Symphony Orchestra surveyed some of their audience members and based on the responses are choosing to limit attendance for some shows. At a classical concert, we, we maintain a 50 or 60 or 70 percent capacity, but for something like Home Alone or D. Daniels um, in December, we open all the doors. More personal indoor events will also have their attendance limits fully lifted. Weddings, receptions and parties. For those uh, over 85%, almost 90% of people now who are vaccinated, use your vaccine card, go to uh, the theatre, go back to the arts. But it's not everyone that'll get to enjoy the new freedoms. Capacity limits of 50% will remain where there have been higher rates of COVID-19 spread, like large parts of northern BC, the interior and the east 
eastern section of the Fraser Health Authority, which includes Chilliwack and Abbotsford. All right, Kamal joins us now live. And uh, Kamal, people who run restaurants and organized weddings were paying close attention to what they heard today. What's in this for them? Yeah, Chris. Uh, so as it stands, uh, the province is now removing the requirement to remain seated at restaurants and events. So uh, as it previously stood, you had to remain at your table. But restaurant owners and business owners said that was too difficult to enforce. So starting now, you can leave your table and mingle with people from other tables. And when it comes to weddings and clubs, uh, you are still not allowed to dance at those events, although Dr. Bonnie Henry, Chris, said that should change sometime soon. All right, let's hope so. A lot of people want to get their groove on, Kamal. All right, thanks very much, Kamal Karamali, live for us tonight. Now let's get a look at today's COVID-19 numbers. BC has 560 new cases and still fewer than 5,000 active cases. 382 people are in the hospital and 146 of those patients are in the ICU. Sadly, five more people have died from complications of the virus, and 83.5% of eligible British Columbians are now fully immunized. BC's top doctor providing an eagerly awaited update on COVID case numbers and transmission in schools today. The data shows cases involving school-age kids, even those who are unvaccinated, are starting to trend down, and very few children are ever hospitalized with COVID-19. COVID has put significant strain on BC's school system. But now, six weeks into the school year, a reprieve. And as we can see across BC, we've seen a decrease in uh, young children and uh, the school-aged children. The province presenting the first COVID-19 close-up look this school year. In early October, the peak for kid transmission. You can see in red and yellow, cases among those 5 to 8 and 9 to 11 then taking a dramatic downturn. At the beginning of the school year, it was uh, a dramatic increase in interior health that we were seeing primarily, again, related to the increase we were seeing in community across interior health that started in August. And that, that's now taking a downturn. Hospitalizations continue to remain low in children as well, where BC has not experienced a dramatic increase like in parts of the United States. We have seen uh, very few children admitted to hospital, thankfully. The province using the example of interior health to show the impacts of transmission in schools. 80 COVID clusters since the start of the year, leading to 314 cases. A higher rate than last year, but still accounting for just 28% of cases among school-age kids. Across the board in the province, um, less than one-third of schools have had a cluster, and I think that's important. The province has been optimistic a vaccine will be available for kids under the age of 12 by as soon as early November. But Global News has now been told to expect that vaccine in later November or potentially early December as Health Canada continues its current review. The question now is when it is finally approved, will it be required? I actually don't see at this point um, that uh, mandatory vaccinations will be required for children. The province still hopeful, even though it won't be required, kids get in line to get that COVID shot. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. All right, we don't mean to pile on here, but Keith Baldry joins us now with another looming health concern, and it was brought up at the briefing today. Last year, Keith, there was practically no flu season, but mm -hmm. this year, uh, Dr. Henry seems to think it has the potential to be bad. 
Well, there's certainly concern, ongoing concern. We're headed into respiratory illness season. Influenza is the biggest threat out there. Right now, we're seeing about 40 people a day going into hospital because of COVID-19. That's using up resources, forcing the cancellation of surgeries. If there's a big surge in influenza, particularly among older people, having to go into a hospital, as usually happens in flu season, that can really overwhelm the system. And Health Minister Adrian Dix today that BC is buying a record number of vaccine doses for influenza in the coming months. Two years ago, and in previous years, British Columbia received about 1.5 million doses of vaccine. This year, the number will be 2.4 million. That's 200,000 more than last year when we got extra doses. And that reflects the need right now, right now, to ensure that we are protected and as protected as possible as a community from respiratory illness this fall. So, so far, 800,000 doses of flu vaccine have been distributed in B.C., primarily through pharmacies and doctors' offices. Uh, the rest will be arriving shortly. Again, we don't want to face a double-barrel threat of COVID-19 with such high cases every day and high hospitalizations. And then, as you say, piling on with influenza in normal times. We don't want to go back there. We'll hopefully have another influenza-free season. All right. Let's hope so. Thanks very much, Keith. Exposure to people in high-stress situations is a big part of the job for first responders, but they're not all facing the same rules when it comes to vaccination. Paramedics are classified as healthcare workers, and so they need to prove they are double-dosed. But as Catherine Urquhart reports, the vaccine mandates for other emergency services are all over the map. In the U.S., mandated COVID-19 vaccinations have prompted many first responders to quit, a trooper in Washington state recently gave this final sign-off. This is the last time you'll hear me in a state patrol car. And Jay Inslee can kiss my On this side of the border, mandatory vaccinations continue to be announced. The latest coming from the Surrey Police Service. Anybody that would want to be hired by the Surrey Police Service, whether it's a recruit that will ultimately go to the Justice Institute of BC to get trained, or somebody from an experienced uh, background, uh, will have to be uh, mandated uh, to be vaccinated. Also required to be fully vaccinated in the near future, members of the RCMP, BC paramedics, and City of Vancouver employees. Fire Chief Karen Fry told Global News, as of December 6, 2021, the city will require all staff to be fully vaccinated against COVID-19. This is also being a requirement of Vancouver Fire and Rescue Service employees. But members of the Vancouver Police Department are not required to be vaccinated, at least not yet. The VPD told Global News, we are aware of the current climate and are working on our policy. That policy is widely expected to include mandatory vaccinations with an announcement coming possibly within days. In Surrey, the new mandate means in the next few weeks, members of SPS will be required to disclose if they've been vaccinated. The next step is going to be looking at exemptions, bona fide exemptions. And then after that, we will work with the union and the police board to develop a policy uh, pertaining that those, uh, if there are any, that uh, refuse to get vaccinated. Surrey Police, just the latest to announce mandatory vaccinations, which some believe should be required for all first responders. Catherine Urquhart, Global News.
A B.C. Supreme Court judge is the latest patient forced to wait for help when he fell ill at the courthouse. It's all part of the ongoing issues plaguing B.C. emergency health services, leaving gravely ill patients with excessively long waits. And as Ramina Dea tells us, in this case, it was quick-thinking sheriffs at the courthouse who came to the rescue. The situation serious. The Supreme Court justice was experiencing stroke-like symptoms, according to sources who tell us court staff called 911 immediately, but they were placed on hold for roughly 30 minutes. It was a sheriff who finally made the decision they couldn't wait any longer. They needed to move. So the sheriffs transported the judge to St. Paul's Hospital, which is just a few blocks away from the courthouse. We don't know the judge's current condition. The incident occurred roughly two weeks ago. This is a high-profile example of the current crisis we're hearing about from many British Columbians who say they are facing long delays when they call 911 for an ambulance. The health minister responding to the dire situation on CKNW Tuesday morning. We've massively invested in the ambulance service, $424 million to $559 million a year. We're hiring hundreds of people. We're adding cars. Over the last number of months, I think on July 2nd, 330 postings went out. Uh, and then we've added to we're adding more ambulance paramedics. Ecom, the initial point of contact for 911 callers, tells us it's BCEHS who is responsible for ambulance dispatch. Romina Dea, Global News. And BCHS responded to Global News late this afternoon with a statement. It says the week of October 4th to the 8th was particularly busy, averaging more than 2,000 calls a day. Typical call volumes are between 14 and 1,500. BCEHS says it's working with dispatch centers to try to meet periods of high demand. The Fraser Health Authority is going to court to try to shut down a restaurant in hope that's refusing to obey health orders and even an order to close. Raleigh's restaurant has had its business and liquor licenses suspended for refusing to check customers' vaccination status, but it has kept its doors open. Fraser Health wants the court to grant an injunction to enforce the closure order. Dr. Bonnie Henry says the restaurant has been given every chance to comply with the law. Fraser Health has been, our environmental health officers have been working with the, the restaurant, have been making sure they absolutely are clear on what the requirements are. And as you say, they have been uh, actively um, resisting. And uh, there was um, a group of, uh, I know, the business leaders in Hope, um, the community, the, the business association are all very upset about the impact of this type of defiance on their communities. Fraser Health also wants the court to authorize police to arrest or remove anyone from the restaurant who is violating the closure order. All right, on to brighter things. It is Variety Week here at Global BC, and there are kids right now whose parents can't afford extended benefits and who are waiting for things like wheelchairs and walkers, therapies and tuition to improve their quality of life. We don't want any child to have to wait or to go without, and that's why we need you this week, our viewers, to support Variety with a donation. Throughout the news hour, you might even see your name on the ticker at the bottom of the screen. It's a list of all those who have donated so far. And as an added bonus tonight, Accent Inns is matching donations up to a total of $20,000. So call now to 310-KIDS 
and double the impact of your donation. More great coverage coming up throughout the news hour too. Freedom of information that's no longer free. The NDP government is going to start charging for every FOI request. Why it says attaching a cost to information that's supposed to be freely available is necessary. Next on the news hour. Documents in limbo. Why the assurance from Prime Minister Trudeau that the government handed over all its residential school files isn't entirely accurate. That's coming up on the news hour. And the coyote kid, what it was like to be stalked by a pack of wild animals later. Right now, though, the NDP government is under fire for proposing a fee for freedom of information requests. As Amata Gahi reports, critics say it amounts to charging the public for information that's already theirs. This legislation hasn't been amended in over a decade, and this was a chance to put in a modest application fee. It's a modest fee, uh, a modest fee, a modest fee, a reasonable modest fee. It's a talking point, and it makes it clear what BC's NDP government thinks is the right price for something many, including BC's watchdog for privacy and information, would argue the public should never be paying for. It's the public's information. They have a right to that information. The reason why the Minister of Citizen Services, Lisa Baer, was put on the defensive Tuesday is not the proposal to update the province's Freedom of Information and Privacy Act, but the plan to add an application fee of $25 each time someone files a Freedom of Information request. This fee is a targeted effort to discourage people from being able to hold government accountable. These document requests are usually for detailed information about how government operates, things that don't make the press releases, but that opposing politicians, journalists, and people have the right to know. We cannot hold our governments accountable unless we understand what they're doing. And a key part of understanding how they're doing is to look at the record, to examine uh, those decisions that are made um, often behind the curtain. And never in BC has there been what critics call a toll or a barrier to that information. The NDP government, when in opposition, used the program to uncover liberal scandals. That speaks to me to a, a, a desire by the Premier's office to cover up information, not to be transparent. The question for British Columbians now would be if they agree their taxes are the most appropriate way to pay for transparency in government instead of an added fee. Yes, we are applying a modest fee for non-personal FOI requests. However modest it may be. Amadagahi, Global News. Just ahead, signs of trouble in Surrey. The bylaw amendment that outlaws political signage, even on private property, and how residents are reacting. And in a purge of hotel employees, how one demographic was hurt more than others. Massive delays here in Vancouver due to a crash eastbound at the west end of the Cassiar Tunnel. The left lane is blocked. Traffic is backed over the Ironworkers Memorial Bridge and all the way up to the Upper Levels Highway to Lonsdale. Connect Hearing is Canada's number one physician-referred hearing health care provider. Your hearing is important. Take care of it. Visit connecthearing.ca to book your hearing evaluation today. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One. High above a crash on Highway 1 in the Cassiar Tunnel. Surrey Mayor Doug McCallum and his civic party are once again at the center of a political firestorm. This time, 
It's over a controversial new bylaw amendment that critics say is nothing less than an assault on democracy. Grace Key reports. If you drive through the city of Surrey, you're sure to stumble upon these keep the RCMP signs. But soon they'll have to come down. All in favor, against. It's carried with In a five to four vote, Surrey City Council amended a bylaw no longer allowing political signs on private property unless it's within a voting window, such as an election referendum or from the day BC elections approves an initiative petition. Political signs can also include those supporting, opposing or disapproving of candidates or issues. Councillor Linda Annis voted against it. The bylaw is just fundamentally wrong. It's restricting freedom of speech. People should be allowed to put signs on their front lawn about anything that they would like to put on, so long as it's not a hate crime or something that's criminal in nature. Those trying to keep the RCMP in Surrey feel this bylaw is in direct response to their fight against Surrey Mayor Doug McCallum's move toward a municipal police force. This flies in the face of of our guaranteed um, uh, charter of rights and freedoms uh, in this country to to express ourselves and to have democracy. And uh, in uh, in the city of Surrey, there is no more democracy. It's uh, McCallum's way or the highway. And people now are sick and tired of it. But these aren't the only signs that could be affected. Surrey's large South Asian community has been speaking out against farm laws in India. And it's where do you draw the line? I don't know what the line is. And I think that's also going to be very problematic for the residents here in Surrey. They don't know what the shape of the box is. And so they could quite innocently put up signs that... uh, they thought were fine but really aren't. Surrey's bylaw department says generally if a sign is for or against a municipal, provincial or federal issue it could be removed. Earliest final adoption from council is November 8. The founder of Keep the RCMP in Surrey campaign intends to fight this and will be seeking legal help. In the meantime his signs are staying up. Grace Key, Global News. The three North Shore municipalities are partnering with local First Nations to advance some major transportation projects they all agree are badly needed. The group now known as North Shore Connects will be pushing the TransLink Mayor's Council, provincial and federal governments all to prioritize the proposed Burrard Inlet Rapid Transit Link, along with a number, number of other transportation infrastructure projects. The group says the goal is to cut down the congestion on the two North Shore bridges by eliminating 50,000 vehicle trips per day. The North Shore Connects partnership will allow us to work together to reduce congestion, strengthen regional connections and support livable communities. Whether it's one of our local businesses uh, or the local ski hills or regional parks, the North Shore attracts thousands of people on a daily basis seven days a week. The Burrard Inlet Rapid Transit Project is still in the very early planning stages with five different routes for a new bridge or tunnel crossing being considered, linking the North Shore with the rest of Metro Vancouver. One of Vancouver's landmark hotels is the target of a new complaint to BC's Human Rights Tribunal. The Hotel Workers Union says the Pan Pacific Hotel's decision to let workers go when the pandemic began disproportionately affected women of color. Krista Dow reports. Shame on Westmont! Shame on Pakistan! They are a small but impassioned group of former hotel staff. 
a striking demonstration outside the posh Pan Pacific Hotel. We're here because during the pandemic, Westmont, the owner of this hotel, the Pan Pacific, disproportionately fired women of color. The BC Hotel Union Group alleges the luxury hotel chain discriminated against its female housekeepers and their race. Many of them are from the South Asian, Filipino and Chinese communities. So this isn't right and we're calling out the Pan Pacific. It is racist and it is sexist of what they've done. On Tuesday, several housekeepers filed a human rights complaint against the hotel. In it, it says of the total number of terminated women since June 2020, approximately 94 percent are women of color. And in contrast, the respondent used its limited resources to maintain staffing in male-dominated job categories. One of the complainants is Stephanie Dan, who enjoyed every minute working here. Last August, she was fired through email. Working at the Pan Pacific was like a dream because it's beautiful, it's classy. That just felt like so wrong on every level you can go, you know, it's just, it was devastating. This employment lawyer who does not represent any of the parties says the Human Rights Tribunal will be looking at a number of factors. Is it just people of a specific ethnicity that got determinated? Is it just people of a certain uh, gender that got terminated? Uh, Is it that this discussion was already happening? The complaint acknowledges that women are overrepresented in housekeeping because of systemic inequities. Despite that, housekeepers here say they just want their old jobs back and pledge they won't rest until they do. We'll be back! We'll be back! Krista Dow, Global News. Global News reached out to the Pan Pacific Hotel for a response to the union's complaint. We did not receive a reply by airtime. Up next, the truth about residential school records. All the records in possession of the federal government uh, have already been turned over. How that version of events is being disputed by the Truth and Reconciliation Center that's supposed to receive them. And a man who chose to ride, not hide, on an epic journey for mental health. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Good evening. Crews are on scene to a motorcycle crash here in Richmond, eastbound on Westminster Highway at Fleetwood Place. The entire area is completely blocked off. Connect Hearing is Canada's number one physician-referred hearing health care provider. Your hearing is important. Take care of it. Visit connecthearing.ca to book your hearing evaluation today. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above a crash in Richmond. There are some serious questions tonight about comments made by the Prime Minister during his visit with the Tecumlips to Shwetmik Nation in Kamloops on Monday, Trudeau was asked if all government documents related to residential schools had been turned over to the Truth and Reconciliation Center in Winnipeg. Nitu Garche is with us now with more on this. Now, Nitu, the PM said yes, they'd been handed over. However, 
The TRC says that's not necessarily the case. That's right, Chris. The Tecumseh to Schwetmick community has been publicly renewing calls for unfettered access to student attendance records in the possession of the federal government since they made the announcement in late May about hundreds of unmarked burial sites near the former Kamloops Indian Residential School. Those documents are critical in helping to identify children who didn't survive those institutions of assimilation. Now, during his visit to the community yesterday, the Prime Minister was asked how soon those student attendance records would be handed over. Here's part of his response. All the federal records, all the records in possession of the federal government uh, have already been turned over to the National Centre for Truth and Reconciliation in Winnipeg. But in a written response to Global News today, the centre said the PM statements were not accurate, adding, we are still waiting for Canada to provide the final versions of school narratives and supporting documents used in the independent assessment process. We are also still unable to access Indian hospital records, federal health records and day school records. Residential school survivors and their families have been waiting a long time. It was in 2015 when negotiations for these attendance records were sparked from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. We did reach out to the Prime Minister's office yesterday afternoon for clarity on the PM's comments. Our request was then passed on to the Federal Crown Indigenous Relations Ministry, which has not responded. We'll continue to follow this story, Chris, with community reaction on the news hour tomorrow. Back to you. All right, a lot of people waiting for that answer. Thanks very much, Neetu. And we understand these stories can be triggering for our viewers. So if you or anyone you know needs support, you can call the number on your screen. It's 1-866-925-4419. That crisis line operates 24 hours a day. Having to care for a special needs child is something that no grandparent should ever have to think about. But when circumstances arise that make it unavoidable... They almost always step in. Variety understands these challenges, and when Gabriel needed help to rehab after surgery, Variety was there. With technical trouble fixed, we hope a touching story now of how Variety stepped in to help when young Gabriel needed help to rehab after surgery. It's really hard to watch any child go through that kind of pain. But seeing my grandson going through that was really difficult. Three years ago, 13-year-old Gabriel had a benign tumor removed from his hip that had been seriously affecting his mobility and his life. Physiotherapy and hard work were the best prescription for Gabriel's road to recovery. He was in a lot of pain because he had a fairly extensive surgery. They removed a lot of bone and tissue. He wasn't mobile. So eventually, as he got stronger, then he was able to sit and then stand and eventually walk, used wheelchair. We'll do 10. Gabriel and his grandmother are part of the Tsekum First Nation, and although there is government funding available for First Nations children, sometimes that funding for essential services like physiotherapy is difficult to come by. There's long wait times that can exist of many months to over a year, or there's specific assessments that are required that also delay medical care. And so Variety Funding has provided Indigenous children help when Jordan's principal has either denied their application or they're waiting for their application to be reviewed. Variety has stepped in when health care ended for Gabriel and has provided him with the crucial physiotherapy sessions that he needs to get stronger so that he can once again do the things he loves. 
Before I couldn't walk or run around or bike, and now I'm walking and biking around now. It's been amazing, I think, for all of us because it's been trying to work everything together for healing him, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually as well. The spiritual and emotional healing of a child should be as important as the physical healing. Variety is committed to assisting families so they don't have to worry about finances and can focus on the overall well-being of their children. And if they don't have that funding, it isn't just um, it isn't just the child that suffers; it's the community, you know, because the physiotherapists are invaluable and. That funding, it helps children just be children. Seeing him on that skateboard is amazing. And you can help make sure Gabriel and other kids like him and their families are supported by donating now to Variety. Call 310-KIDS or go online to variety.bc.ca. And Accent Inns will double your donation tonight. So double your dollars and call in right now. A West Vancouver teenager had his walk to school interrupted when he was chased by a pack of coyotes. Very scary. It happened at about 7.45 Monday morning. 13-year-old Hunter Gale says he was on the way to his bus stop when he noticed five coyotes converging around him. He turned and sprinted back home with the animals following him the whole way. And when I looked up, I saw about four coyotes yeah. just at the bottom of that street. Yeah. And before I turned around, I see a fifth one pop out of the bush. All of them were sort of staring at me. So the first thing I do, is, which was kind of dumb, was I sort of run up. Right. And uh, I saw they noticed me. So they started, one went around the whole pack. Okay. And then uh, the others started following it. And I just ran up and up my driveway, I look back and I see the coyotes standing right about where we are. Right. And uh, so they basically just stalked me up my whole street. Conservation Officer Service has been notified of the encounter and this incident follows a string of more than 40 coyote attacks in Stanley Park over the past several months. Scary for him for sure. So nice to see the sunshine for a great part of the day today. Here's Christy with a look at the forecast. Christy? Mm -hmm. Yes, today was definitely a day to celebrate with the fall colors out in full force and it was dry, it was sunny. Uh, I hope you were able to get your patio furniture in the last couple of days. I haven't yet and I've been killing myself because I know I'm going to need some. Here's a look at the fog that we saw from earlier today. Port Coquitlam showing it very thick and through that region. You likely won't see fog tomorrow, but you will see rain and that's the reason why I was saying I hope you were able to get your patio furniture in. It's that time of year, everyone. Or maybe you're out in the garden just trying to clean up. So give yourself extra time for your commute. It is going to be wet through the morning hours. We're also expecting windy conditions. Now in the afternoon, there's a chance we may see some breaks of blue sky and things certainly will transition to a chance of showers, but it remains unsettled. And then the next wave of moisture is set to push in in the afternoon on Thursday. So Thursday starts off dry and mainly cloudy, but it's certainly going to be wet and windy in the afternoon. So there's your forecast 
forecast for your Wednesday. These areas here, the rainfall just in through the morning hours and for the south coast, we will continue to be wet in the afternoon with showers, but the heaviest rain will be earlier in the day with a high of 14 degrees. Wetter in the day in the afternoon on Thursday, continuing to be wet on Friday and still a lot of uncertainty around our weekend. So tune back in and I will have more details on that. Tonight, Central Windows weather window coming to you from Victoria. Dean, Dean Norris Jones sending us that a stunning shot of the um, sun coming through the maple tree there. That is wild. Very cool. Okay, thanks very much, Christy. Mm -hmm. And here's Squire with a look ahead to what's coming up in sports. All right, uh, we'll show you what happened tonight in Buffalo with the Canucks. Also, the Whitecaps are pressuring more than ever since Vanny Sartini took over. And that starts with, you know, having a little bit of a higher pressure and winning the ball up the field more. It certainly has resulted in a lot more goals for that man, Brian White, and wins for his team. Also tonight, Pedal Power takes a BC cyclist from Osuyas to the Arctic. Why he put up with the punishment later. Yeah, Squires here with Sports. Canucks doing pretty well. What's that? Have they not been doing okay? Well, I don't know. They're, they're kind of like my hair. You never quite know what you're going to get with them. <laughs> Uh, they didn't do so well tonight. Uh, first of all, as is often the case, when the Canucks say something about one of their missing players, it's always a little worse than they tell you. Yesterday, remember we were talking about Quinn Hughes. He wasn't at practice. They said he were, they were giving him a maintenance day. And everybody thought, me included, he needed a day off because he's been playing so much. Well, it turns out he was hurting and he couldn't play tonight against Buffalo. No word on what part of him is sore. But whatever was bothering Brock Besser disappeared because he was out there tonight against the Sabres. All right. Bo Horvat scored the first goal of the game. That's different for the Canucks. Nice play by Tanner Pearson behind the net. Stay with it. Stay with it. Fight the defenseman off. Get it in front. The captain gives him a 1-0 lead. Kyle Laposo down the right side. Up. Up. Defenseman getting caught. In the neutral zone, and it's a goal. So it's 1-1 now. However, Justin Dowling, breakaway. Oh, hit the post after a decent move on Craig Anderson. But he would score, Dowling. He deflects in Luke Shen's shot. And Vancouver would be up 2-1 after one. Second period, though, Four-minute power play has just ended for Buffalo. The Canucks killed that off, but Zegmas Gergenens, or Gergensens, I should say, 2-2. Now to the third, and this is where it unraveled for Vancouver. Before this season started, everybody talked about the Canucks' defense. Would it be loose in their own zone? Well, it was loose there, and Jeff Skinner scored. And then it was loose again 23 seconds later, and Tage Thompson scored. So 4-2 now. Sabres celebrate, and Travis Green has a meeting. Didn't work. Canucks didn't score another goal, but the Sabres did. Rasmus Asplund will uh, hit the empty net. So the uh, Canucks losing to Detroit and Buffalo. Two games they thought they probably would have won heading out in this road trip. They now have uh, Chicago on Thursday, then they finish off the trip in Seattle. Okay, the moment the Whitecaps changed coaches, they changed tactics as well. In the nine games with Vanny Sartini in charge, Vancouver has scored 14 goals. They are a bit bolder 
in the opposition end of the pitch, and it's causing trouble for other teams. They're providing scoring opportunities for themselves as well. Tybert has some room now. Tybert will give it away! You're not wrong if you think the Vancouver Whitecaps have a little extra oomph in their attack these days. Caps six goals in their last three matches to keep the possibility of grabbing a playoff spot within reach. Anytime you have more possession uh, closer to the goal, uh, you're going to have to create more chances to score. So we, you know, we want the ball in the final third. We want to get there with runs in behind, movement in front and around the goal. So, uh, and that starts with you know, having a little bit of a higher pressure and winning the ball up the field more. Having a quality midfielder like Ryan Gold has made a world of difference. Not only is he the field general orchestrating the Caps' attack, he's also front and centre when the Caps are doing their damage. And you can't you know, rush to shoot every time. There's times that it's not on. You have to change your point of attack. And um, you know, There's a lot of intelligence in the team that we know when to do that. Um, <clears throat> and the most important thing is that you know, we're creating chances every game we've had. Um, we've created a lot of chances and could have scored a few goals every game. So um, it's a good position to be in. And, um, you know, if it continues like that, then we've got a good chance of getting the playoffs. This is a confident Whitecaps bunch, especially when it comes to possessing the ball in the final third of the pitch. With five games to go, they're a point out of a playoff spot and need more of this to perhaps slide into the playoffs. The key of our game is the pressure, the high pressure. So we win the ball higher than before and uh, it's easier to, to build up and create chances if you start from uh, 70 yards from the goal instead of 95 yards from the goal. That's, that's, I think, the main reason. The Caps play in Portland on Wednesday and then in San Jose on Saturday. Jay Janowar, Global Sports. It looked bad for Cody Bellinger and the Dodgers. Down 5-2 in the 8 to the Braves. Down 2-0 in the series. They need a hero. Oh, there's one right there. Cody Bellinger. Right on cue. Three-run shot. They'd add one more and they'd uh, beat the Braves 6-5. Should mention the Red Sox are leading 2-1 right now against Houston in the other playoff game. And the pitcher for the Red Sox is Victoria's Nick Pavetta. Awesome. There you go. You've got to cheer for Thanks very much, Squire. Grabbing mental health by the handlebars, a man on an epic ride and making friends along the way. That's next. Join Variety, the children's charity, and Global BC as we celebrate Variety Week, October 18th to 22nd. Tune in to Global News as we share stories that highlight the hope your help can bring. Variety Week on Global BC. A fundraiser called Ride Don't Hide is all about fundraising for people experiencing mental health issues and isolation. Mikey Friedland heeded that call and went on what can only be described as an epic journey. And what he learned along the way is that you are never really alone. He shared his story with Jay Durant on This Is BC. So long, boys. To raise money and awareness for mental health, Mikey Friedland decided to go for a little bike ride. His trip took him from the Canada-U.S. border in Asuyus to Tuktoyaktuk on the Arctic Ocean. I didn't have any training. I planned this about three weeks before I started and, and I learned as I, as I went. He was on his own, no car following behind him, sometimes camping at the end of the day. Hello. Or staying in remote off-the-grid cabins. This is amazing. I'm in the middle of nowhere. And it is hailing on me. But what makes this adventure so special is even though he was on his own, he was never really alone. Random strangers would offer him help along the way. Just stopped to give me water and 
Fried chicken, man. Some roadside meals and snacks to help him through his ride. As I was patching my tire, a man stopped and offered me some hard-boiled eggs. Love it, love it. Friedland admits he had no idea what to expect out there. It was these connections with the people he met that completely surprised him. The language of this land. I had help from dozens of strangers, uh, you know, and, and including, you know, Canadians of, 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 of all backgrounds. This is a very narrow shoulder. After nervous moments on some highways, Biker friendly! Rock slides impeding his path. Oh man, that's easy. There he is. Bears, mosquitoes, rain, wind, and exhaustion. He finally reached the finish line after 50 long days of cycling. So far, he has raised over $30,000 and is still collecting for Canadian mental health. His own struggles during the pandemic pushing him towards this epic journey filled with so many little victories along the way. I'm trying to take into my life off of the bicycle is, is create all of these, these moments where I can, I, I can get that, that satisfaction and, and that, that feeling of accomplishment and self-worth. Jay Durant, Global News. Way to go, Mikey. What a journey. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, just email your ideas to Jay. The address is thisisbc at globalnews.ca. And you've got to be in a giving mood after that. We're only two days into Variety Week, and already BC has shown some incredible generosity. So far today, with your donations, you have pushed our kid count to 186 with over $464,000 in donations. Thank you so much to you and to Accent Inns for their support, doubling it up during the news hour here. It's never too late to help these kids either. Call 310KIDS. And thanks to Gabriel, who shared his story earlier in the newscast. Final word to you, Christy. Mm-hmm. Sure. So what weather tomorrow? You'll need your rain jacket, especially earlier in the day. We may see some breaks of blue sky later, but still a chance of showers in the mix. All right. Thanks very much. And thank you for watching. Have a great night, everybody.